The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to another episode of the Future Socks Podcast. My name is Mike Rankin. I'll be your host, James Fox, senior writer and editor over at Future Socks. He's alongside us. We're going to speak to Jeff Cohen in a little bit, our beat writer for the Charlotte Knights. He's been covering the team all season long. Got a lot of questions regarding AAA Charlotte. He's done a great job. Uh, he's got a very unique insight. He's been speaking to Wes Helms, the manager down there, all season. So stay tuned for that. But man, James, you and I first, before we get to our guy Jeff Cohen, Plenty to discuss related to the Chicago White Sox minor league system across the board. The last time we had a conversation, we recapped our top 30 list. And before I get into the topics, uh, boy, we, we we were just discussing prior to the start of this podcast, Jose Rodriguez, hey, we gave him respect, a ton of respect, to be quite honest. After the success that he had in Kannapolis, we ranked him 10th. He is really, really excelling at Winston-Salem following his promotion. And some have been asking, hey, man, why isn't this guy not only higher, not only in the top five, why is he not number one overall on the list? So let's start there. Jose Rodriguez is a wonderful story for the young players that we were anticipating to watch across the season in a full season in Kannapolis this year, far and away. The bright spot of that team eventually moving up to advanced day Winston-Salem, and he hasn't slowed down. Yeah, so it's been super interesting. Obviously, when we, you know, we ranked him 10, I believe. And, you know, look, at the time he hadn't been promoted to Winston yet, or he just had been. And we're looking at stats in low A. Like, we like Jose Rodriguez. He's hit, he hit in 2018 as a 17-year-old. He hit in 2019 as an 18-year-old. And, you know, he was one of the few bright spots on that Canapolis Cannonballers team. Um, you know, he hit nine homers playing in the middle infield with a 109 WRC plus down there. Um, but you know, it's like a five, five percent walk rate. Um, it was still only a 15.8% K rate. Now, you know, the thing about Jose Rodriguez that we had kind of always talked about, you know, I had heard from scouts and outside evaluators, super aggressive approach that scouts worried about once he got like into the higher levels of the system. So, you know, I think we've always like kept him and Brian Ramos kind of close to each other. Um, you know, I think if we were to re-rank today, maybe he's like he's in the top five in the system. And, you know, we've talked about the shortcomings of the system right now. Like if you still had Colson in front of him, that makes some sense. But Jose Rodriguez probably has leaped in front of, you know, some of the prep arms that 
our readers are used to seeing. So, you know, he's 20 years old. He's played 27 games now in high A for Winston-Salem. He's got four homers. He's hitting 367, 388, 532 with a weighted runs created plus of 141 in high A. Now, you know, the walk rate did dip slightly. It's like 4.3%, but the strikeout rate's only at 10%. So, you know, it's it's very encouraging, especially since like multiple outside evaluators have said like he's probably going to stay at shortstop, which was a question. So he'll end here. And, you know, I mean, there's there's a solid chance that, you know, Jose Rodriguez starts next season when the season starts, you know, in double A at Birmingham as a 20 year old. So he's got a May birthday. So, you know, yeah. So as a as a 20-year-old in, in double-A next year as one of the White Sox top prospects. So, yeah, that's it's a glimmer of hope in a system that otherwise has obviously fallen quite a bit since the preseason. Jose Rodriguez debuted in the White Sox system for the Dominican Summer League in 2018. So he's been a part of the system for a few years now. And like you mentioned, James, the, the strikeout-to-walk ratio in Winston-Salem it's, it's very encouraging to say in a limited sample size. I mean, only 12 strikeouts in 114 plate appearances. And like you said, when you take both of his seasons together in Kannapolis and Winston-Salem, let's, let's admire the fact that, you know, an 814 OPS, a 303 batting average, and a guy who can potentially stick at shortstop, according to the guys at, at Baseball America. I mean, that's something as a 20-year-old to be keeping an eye on very closely. 20 stolen bases in Kannapolis. We know, we know the talent level at low A, but he's continued to steal bags in Winston-Salem. Also 10 stolen bases there across 27 games in Winston. So just like a brief sample size understanding, you know, second half or the late third of the season, he's not slowing down. And that's very encouraging to see. So maybe we undersold Jose Rodriguez in our rankings. I don't, you know, I'm, I was, I'm totally fine with him ranked 10 because a lot of the arms that we have ranked, I believe, have plenty of upside. But, I mean, he, like at this point, if we had to re-rank these these guys, I mean, Gavin Sheets, right, he he graduated, so he's going to be off the board. Um, Jake Berger is still a part of this conversation, but like he's in that range. He's, he's mid-tier, maybe, you know, top five. Maybe he breaks the top three at this point, which is something that we get to look forward to at the beginning of next year. And I don't, you know what? I don't think Birmingham's out of the question either. Like it, it might be a little ambitious, but considering, you know, there's going to be a lot of roster shakedowns going on and promotions. I think this is a really important evaluation season for the White Sox to say, okay, who's a legit player. We were also talking about this, James, without having a level below Canapolis, it's very hard for players to have any sort of success or like, it's hard for the teams to evaluate them without understanding, Hey, these, these guys are going to fail uh, in a league that they've never played in before first full season professionally. So I thought, you know, that, that was an important point as well as, as we evaluate these players. Yeah, absolutely. And it, you know, it's like one of the bright spots there, like, you know, I'm going to pivot slightly, but I mean, like we've talked about this, right. It's like, I think what, like 50, I was told there'd be no math. Like I often say, but it, it's like 55 draft picks. I think that the white Sox didn't get right. Cause it was a five round draft and then a 20 round draft. Um, so yeah, so that's 55. So like you, you look at the team at Kannapolis and, you know, we've talked about this a lot. I think it was super young and I think we saw guys that were there and we kind of like maybe squinted and said like, Ooh boy, like these guys go into full season. And, you know, we didn't, 
really know what that league would look like, right? And the Cannonballers were probably one of the worst teams in that league. You know, we t- Josh Norris was just very honest about what scouts saw watching that team play. And, you know, I had even heard some rumblings that some of the players are just, you know, like mentally like drained after, you know, a season there that that didn't go so well. But I, I just like don't know what the White Sox like as an organization were supposed to do. I mean, they had great falls taken from them. The Arizona League season didn't start until like after the draft. So, I mean, look, you would have had multiple players that might not have been ready for Canapolis that would have had they would have had to stay, you know, in Arizona and just play extended spring training. So so there really wasn't a spot for some of these guys to go. And then on the pitching side, there's a lot of like organizational depth, like type guys down there pitching. Like it's just, you know, it is what it is. Like the, the White Sox drafted Garrett Crochet and, and Kelly. And, you know, we, we've joked that they punted some picks. I mean, look, they took guys that they like, but they took a lot of guys who aren't future major leaguers to fill out minor league pitching staffs. So, you know, like some of that stuff, like they, they need to rebuild the pitching depth in their system. And it was just a weird time where there was a, where there was a five round draft, like while they graduated a bunch of players and they had a bunch of guys that weren't ready. So look, I think it'll balance out next year. Everything will be more age appropriate at Kannapolis. And look, some guys that fail at Canny are just like they're, you know, the the professional baseball like isn't going to work out for them. And that might be unfair, but it's, you know, it's, it's kind of an unfair sport. And it's kind of what every team in the league is dealing with. So it's not just a White Sox issue. Yeah, and speaking of one of those arms, let's let's go right there. Chicago White Sox round three, 94th overall pick, Sean Burke, is pitching in Kannapolis. Got drafted out of Maryland. You know, 11 innings overall, 19 strikeouts. The fact, though, that we're seeing 95-plus from Sean Burke is what was advertised, and so far so good. And we're talking about one of those arms that you, you can anticipate to develop throughout the system within the starting rotation, as in this is a decently high capital pick that, you know, I think is worth keeping an eye on still. Yeah, for sure. College guy should move quick. He, uh, you know, it's, it's too many walks, but it's a small sample um, for sure. So he threw So he started two games in the complex league, but he only threw three innings in those two games. Um, you know, this, the stats are really good, tons of strikeouts. And then he's had three starts in Kannapolis, eight innings pitch total, you know, 15.7 Ks per nine, almost seven walks per nine. But look, I mean, it's a, they just really needed to get him on a mound. Obviously he's on a limit. Um, he's got 11 innings so far, you know, maybe he throws 15 or so with the intention of, you know, he'll be in a minor league rotation next year. And my guess is he he goes to Winston next year. I mean, there's there's really no reason um, for him to go back to Kannapolis. Um, and I don't know how much we're going to talk about, you know, our troika of, of prep righties that we always talk about. But, you know, I don't know where they're going to go. And, you know, we'll have a bunch more of these podcasts where we talk about that type of stuff. But, you know, some of those guys could stay at Kannapolis with some of your more advanced guys going to Winston and Sean Burke. Sean Burke's a guy that definitely belongs at Winston-Salem, I would say. Yeah, Burke will be in his age 22 season. Like you said, college guy, a little bit more advanced. You know, it, it might be a little unfair considering not a lot of professional time, but a full off season of rest and you know, quality of stuff and age as well. I think he'd handle Winston-Salem just fine. Uh, one of those young arms that we're talking about, prep arms, Matthew Thompson, Andrew Dawkins love to pair them. Jared Kelly, 
as well as now Tanner McDougal, somebody to incorporate into this conversation. McDougal hasn't pitched um, above right Arizona. He hasn't gotten a taste of Kannapolis yet, but these guys are getting work in. This is the start of it. And I think that's a good point. You know, it's interesting to ponder what do the White Sox want to do with the, with the young right-handers? I mean, Thompson and Dahlk was specifically considering they've been in the in the organization since 2019. And, you know, Jared Kelly had a rough season, so they might want to be patient with with Kelly. But I think give him time, right? I think give give Jared Kelly another season at Kannapolis, let him work through his issues. Um, but Thompson, maybe they think highly of him. You know, it's just a matter of can they handle it? Tanner McDougal is probably going to get a shot in Kannapolis next season as well. I think those are the questions that we can ponder coming up this offseason. But here's something, James, talking about pitching. Norhe Vera. Norhe Vera might be the best pitcher, not only the best pitcher. We have him ranked as the best pitcher in the White Sox system, but the number one overall prospect that the White Sox have at this point. I think we sort of didn't realize what exactly the White Sox had in Vera. Just the little amount of information that was available. He was pitching in the Dominican, and you were on it since the get-go as as to why he isn't stateside. It, it's a matter of establishing residency in the same season that he signed his contract, and the White Sox are honoring his bonus by keeping him in the Dominican without forcing him to give up a portion of that by making him come to the United States this season. So that, I think, credit to you, of course, but also I think, man, like we were excited about Norhe Vera, but I think we took it up a notch after the last couple of weeks. So when when Norhe Vera was, you know, in the process of signing, like he was like a top 20 international guy in that class. He was a top pitcher in the class, but he was older. I mean, he's 21 years old. He will be 22 next June. So, you know, that's very promising. Now, you know, he was described as like a 93 to 94 mile per hour fastball guy with some good breakers. But I mean, look, for one and a half million dollars, like that's fine. Then there were some reports that, you know, his stuff ticked down and he was kind of throwing 90, 91 in workouts. And that's why the Sox got him so cheap. Then he, you know, he had some sort of minor shoulder injury and he didn't start the DSL season on time. Like you said, he's in the Dominican Summer League as a 21-year-old. So he's pitching against teenagers, basically. So like he, he doesn't belong in that league. So the stats, look, I mean, he's got an ERA of zero and a FIP of 0. 0.85. That doesn't really matter that much like he started six games um 11.2 innings pitched and it's 21 strikeouts in 11.2 innings so you know the biggest thing with that is just like francis romero is a great international writer that you know he's like all over a lot of this stuff like he's got video of norhe i mean they said that norhe vera what hit 101 the other day and he was he's like consistently sitting like 96 to 99 that is far more important than you know, any of the stats against teenagers, but I think it just shows like he's healthy. Um, he, he obviously doesn't need to be pitching down there. So he's another guy who just run him on up to Winston Salem for next year. Like he, he's 21. Like he can be in the Winston Salem rotation with Burke and some others, like some of your other college guys for this year. And I think you're right. Like, I think we kind of talked about this. Like it, it made sense to put Colson up at one because of the shortstop thing and he's a prep and all that stuff. But I mean, if Norhe Vera pitches in instructs this year and we get the reports from outside evaluators that I'm anticipating that we get, I think he's going to be their number one prospect when we do this again in the preseason. Yeah, how about that one? There's there's a lot of unknown there, of course. Got to get him stateside. 
want to see him in a full professional season. And I mean, the age though, that's the age factor, the body type and the consistency in his velocity so far. So good. I agree wholeheartedly in, in terms of just look at the stuff. It speaks for itself. Um, the talent, you know, it is what it is over there, but the fact that he's pitching regularly and he's getting it up, uh, and he's got two elite pitches already, fastball slider, this, all right, let's, let's, let's see what happens. Right. So that's exciting to talk about. Um, you know, you mentioned the number one overall prospect, Colson Montgomery. He's getting some at-bats in Arizona, the Arizona Complex League. Uh, Sean Williams, our guy, is uh, getting some looks at him. We talked about uh, Wes Kath as well. Th- those are two guys who are getting their swings in. We're seeing some video emerge. It- it's promising so far. Uh, but let me ask you about Yolki Cespedes as-, as we go through, really, again, the, the top 30 and really the top five um, since-, since we mentioned it. Expectations for Yowalki next season? Do you think he's ready to emerge as a big league player sometime late next year, or is that a little premature? I don't think it's. I mean, I think maybe. I, I just think you know. I'm curious to see where they start him. He struggled a little bit initially um, in the promotion to Double A Birmingham. He doesn't have any home runs there. Um, he's turned it on of late. I think he you know he had a really good last week. I mean, he's hitting 281. Um, but he's only on base 321, and he's not really slugging very much after, <clears throat> you know, in Winston, he went 278, 355, 494, 127 weighted runs created, plus with seven homers. And the defensive reports have been, you know, promising. He's not going to play center field in Chicago. Um, it's a it's a really good arm, so it should fit in left or right. Um, so I, I guess the biggest question with him is, like, I'm just curious to see like how slow they go, right? Like I'm I'm sure he's going to be in big league spring training with an invite. It was probably part of his his deal, I'm assuming. And then, you know, then do you send him to Birmingham or do you send him to Charlotte? Cuz if you send him to Charlotte, you know, he's knocking on the door of the big leagues. So, we'll see. I mean, it could be next year. He's going to need you know to make some changes at the plate just with his approach. He's probably going to have to walk a little bit more. Um, but Look, I mean, it was like $2.5 million. Like, even if that's a backup outfielder for you, it's like a good use of the funds. Um, He can run. He's got a good arm. He's got some power. So, yeah, it's only been 84 plate appearances in 22 games so far at Birmingham. After a rough start, he's turned it on of late. So he's he's one of the more interesting guys in the system. He's a little bit older. Um, but my, I'm guessing, you know, we'll, they'll see him at, at fall instructs. I'm not sure whether he's going to play any winter ball or not, but he's one of their interesting guys. It just kind of depends on what they have planned as a development path for him. And we haven't really heard any of those like details yet. Yeah. There's a little work to do. The strikeout rate is up near 30%. And in 22 games in Birmingham, just looking quickly at the, at the numbers, you know, he's holding his own two, 288 batting average and 80 at bats. Um, you'll take that. No home runs yet. Seven home runs total across 67 minor league games. That's between Winston-Salem and Birmingham. So it's a guy who's finally getting a taste, like we said, of you know professional baseball within an organization. And he's older, so we'll give him some slack this year. Uh, but you want to see him turn it on in his age 24 season compared to you know what we're seeing today. Uh, another great story, though, James, that as we move this podcast along, Romy Gonzalez. You know, we were super high on Romy Gonzalez, like right away at the beginning of the season, just based on the scorching hot start he had in Birmingham. We touched on this in the last episode of the podcast. The thing about him is the 40-man eligibility. Like, he needs to be added 
or else he's Rule 5 eligible. So some injuries went down within the White Sox time frame on the big league level, and they made a roster decision to DFA Jake Lamb, and they said, we think Gavin Sheets is more valuable to have uh, on the – you know, on the big league active roster at this point of the season with two extra roster spots added as well, the, the White Sox could play around with some things. And boy, did they play around with some things. They added Romy Gonzalez. Now, not, it hasn't flashed too much at the big league level yet, but the fact that he made his big league debut following a 2019 season that was okay, missed 2020, and then all of a sudden 21 just emerged as, look at how good I am. I thought it was a great play by the White Sox because you figured they were going to add him to the 40-man anyway this offseason. So why not just do it now and see if the hot streak, because he just he, he continued his streak from Birmingham to Charlotte when he got called up. Why not see if they could strike lightning in a bottle while it was hot? Yeah, you know, it makes a lot of sense. I was a, I was kind of surprised. Like, I thought they'd protect him this offseason because they kind of, like, really didn't have a choice. Like, he's the type of guy that absolutely gets taken by a bad team in Rule 5. Um, and they had just promoted him to Charlotte. He only played, what, nine games in Charlotte, um, but it was no match for Romy, obviously. He hit 344, 382, 750 in Charlotte, you know, with three homers right away and a bunch of doubles. And, you know, it was, it was well documented, like how awesome he did after. But, I mean, he went 2020 in Birmingham. I mean, he was a guy that we talked about a lot. Like, he, like we kind of liked him you know, after Nick Hostetler, like, kind of put the bug in our ear, like, yeah, you know, we kind of like this guy late, like, he went in round 18, he hit a little bit, but then, you know, he, like, wasn't really, like, in top 30 consideration, and then they didn't play in 2020, um, he got his body in incredible shape, and just kind of realized, you know, like, if he can play center field and short, and hit for power, um, and he steals bases, too, like, that's a, it's a useful player for a team that, probably doesn't want to spend a ton of money on utility guys going forward. And Larry Garcia is a free agent after this season. So I, you know, I think there's a spot for Romy in Chicago potentially. And they obviously agree that that's a possibility if they bothered like putting him on their 40 man. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how much he plays down the stretch, but he, you know, he, he really put himself kind of on the prospect man. I mean, when you go 2020 playing home games, in Birmingham. I mean, that's, that's pretty good. I mean, he posted 135 weighted runs created plus in double a and 78 games. So it wasn't, you know, I think at the beginning of the season, he, he had a really hot start and that often happens and we get questions and then what guys like fall back to earth and it's like, okay, non-prospect. Right. But with him, he just like kept hitting and hitting and hitting and he walked, you know, he walked at an 11% rate. So, you know, this is a real guy that the White Sox got in the 18th round. And like we've said, the system isn't great, but this is one of the bright spots to come out of that system in 2021. Yeah, no, a lot of homegrown White Sox making an impact on the big league club in a, in a playoff run, not only this year, but last year as well. So uh, another tip of the cap uh, for White Sox development and this season as a whole. And of course, Romy Gonzalez. I mean, that's, that's good stuff from him. I, sure he'll never forget it so that's something that the White Sox don't really have to worry about in terms of having to move around 40-man roster spots to add him we'll see you know what their plan is this offseason but for now Romy Gonzalez is a part of it uh, which is cool all right James I have a question emailed to us from David Cohn Uh, you can email us or tweet at us at Future Sox you can uh, like I said email us at Future Sox at gmail.com with your questions. 
anything that you'd like to run by us, anything that you want to say, anything that you want to add to the conversation, give us an email or tweet at us at Future Socks on Twitter, futuresocks at gmail.com for the email. So here's the question from David. James, I'll throw this to you first. Mike Adolfo is the topic, and he says he likes him, but he figured that there's really not much of a chance for him to be a part of things moving forward. You know, we know the 40-man implications, and, you know, he also mentioned injuries stunted his growth. So his question was, why didn't the White Sox move him prior to the trade deadline? He thinks that Mike Adolfo was maybe worth at least something. Do you have an answer to David as to why the White Sox didn't want to move Adolfo? Yeah, so I mean, it's a you know, it's a good question. Just because I mean, he was one of the guys that I thought could move just because of the option situation, but he also might not have much value because of said option situation. Like he's in AAA now, finally, um, but as we've said, he's out of options in the spring, so he's either going to be in the big leagues playing. Um, for a team, or he has to be DFA. Like, he can't go to the minor leagues unless he can get outrighted off of a roster, and all 30 teams, like, would have the ability to claim him. So, look, I mean, he's been he's been pretty solid um, in Charlotte, too. I mean, it is a 128 weighted runs created plus. I know, you know, we're going to have Jeff on to talk to him just kind of about what he's seen, but, I mean, this dude is going to slug he slugs 500 like consistently, you know, he's a, he's a power guy. Um, he's got a big arm in right field. Um, he's, you know, 25 years old though. And he's just kind of run out of time, like in this system, like if he's with the White Sox, he'll be in spring training with the big league club with a chance to like make the team. But if he doesn't make that team, you know, then maybe they trade him at that point And they just felt like, maybe the return that they could have got at this deadline isn't better than, you know, keeping him, letting him perform in big league spring training and then seeing what you can get at that point. That, that would be my guess, especially, you know, for an organization that has kind of cut bait, so to say, so to speak, I guess, on like Luis Gonzalez, they lost, you know, they, there was an uproar over losing Luis Alexander Basabe like last year. So look, I mean, they haven't been afraid Jake Burton or uh, Zach Birdie as well. So, I mean, they, they haven't been afraid to give up on guys. So, you know, they apparently, you know, want to see this thing through with Mike or Adolfo, but the clock is obviously ticking on just, you know, that, that marriage and the chance of him, living up to his potential, like with the White Sox in Chicago. Yeah. And it's really hard to gauge the market too. Like what, what realistically is, was the interest in a guy who was unproven, had tons of injuries over consecutive seasons, you know, big time struggles during stretches as well. And we know, we know the potential there. It's just, there's, there was a lot yeah. of unknowns. So well, my guess yeah. is like not much. Cause even like, look at the trades that they made, right? Like if you're, you know, like you're trying to get Cesar Hernandez from the Indians and the Indians, you know, they got Connor Pilkington, who's pitched well for them, by the way. Like, if Connor Pilkington turns into a number five starter for Cleveland that pitches against us down the road, nobody should be surprised by that. But, I mean, say that that's Mike Rodolfo in the trade. Like, why does Cleveland want Mike Rodolfo? Like, is is he going to be the right fielder for the Cleveland Indians next year? Like, the same thing, like, Bailey Horn was sent to the Cubs in the Ryan Tepera trade. Like, if the Cubs get, like, are the Cubs going to play Mike Rodolfo as their right fielder in the big leagues in 2022 I'm just like not sure any team is 
willing to do that. So if they're not like that, that's probably why he's still here is my guess. Yeah. And that makes sense too. what you said. Like, I don't think the White Sox were going out of their way to deal a prospect that they're giving up on that they believe they can get some low tier guy just because they could get something for a guy that they're not going to use anymore. I think their approach to Michael Rodolfo is what you kind of elucidated a minute ago is keep him around and then figure it out later. That's better than giving him up for some 26 year old. Some Yeah. Some right. Like guy. even, yeah. Like even if you get like a couple of 16 year olds to play in the DR, like my guess is the very low chance that like Mike Rodolfo just like shows up in spring training next year and like takes the right field job is low. But the odds of that are probably better than getting something of value for him. Like at this past deadline, like it's, they're, they're kind of beyond the point of no return. Like in, as far as like getting something for him is my yeah. guess. Yeah. That makes sense. All right, so that's good conversation, James. Uh, really good stuff. We're going to bring on our guy Jeff Cohen, AAA beat writer for the Charlotte Knights at Future Sox here in just a minute. Uh, thank you, David Cohen, for the question. Again, you can email us, futuresocks at gmail.com, with anything you'd like to jump into the conversation. We'll get to it on the podcast. We're on Twitter, at Future Sox as well. So sit tight. We'll bring in Jeff Cohen. Pleased to be joined by AAA beat writer of futuresocks.com, Jeff Cohen. Our guy covering the beat down there in Charlotte. Jeff, it's great to have you. Uh, I don't know why it took us this long to get you on the podcast. You've been providing quality content consistently all season long, uh, and it's great to finally be able to talk with you. There's so many different avenues that I'd like to uh, approach this conversation regarding the Knights and your, I guess, experience covering them and the opportunity that was presented to you through Future Socks to be able to do this all season long. So I guess let's start there, Jeff. What's it been like? Cause you just put out an article that I did enjoy the, the question and answer article regarding your experience down in Charlotte, covering the triple a club. And you, you brought some really cool insight of, you know, being a beat writer. So what was, what's it like working with the organization guys like Wes Helms has been giving you availability as well. And uh, it's just, what, what's that been like for you, Jeff? Hey guys, uh, it's been great. It's great to uh, join you guys. It's been a fascinating season. You know, we started, uh, well, actually we didn't start. We canceled the first month of the season. And in the second month of the season, in May, uh, because of COVID, we didn't really have access to the players. uh, And we could only talk to Wes Helms, and that was through Zoom. But all that changed in June. Uh, when we were able to get onto the field after batting practice. And that really, that changed everything. We were able to talk to the players. We were able to talk to Chris Johnson, the hitting coach, Matt Zaleski, the pitching coach, the players. You know, I had a lot of conversations with Jake Berger uh, and Gavin Sheets, um, uh, Jimmy Lambert. Uh, so that, that was some great insight for me, uh, having access to those players. Yeah, I think uh, that's something we benefit so much from as a website is that the firsthand account of getting not only the perspective of somebody who's there every day, but somebody who speaks to those who are you know closely involved with, with the uh, coaching staff and the players and everything that, that goes along those lines. So, so tell me, we were just talking about Mike Rodolfo and we were talking about the value that he brings to the White Sox and where he stands maybe to the rest of the league. You've been watching Mike since he got promoted from Birmingham this year, what's your evaluation of the player so far? I tell you guys, uh, you look at 
Adolfo, and you, you know, he passes the eye test. Uh, he looks like, uh, it, it looks to me like, you know, Luis Robert. I mean, he just looks like such a talented ball player. He's got the big arm. He's got the size. He's got the bat speed. His problem, plain and simple, is he just needs more at-bats. I, I think, and I don't know how this works, uh, once he becomes a free agent, I assume the White Sox could sign him. And, you know, they signed Tim Beckham last year for $1.2 million. Maybe they would take a gamble and sign Adolfo for one year. But I think he needs one full season healthy at AAA, and then we could get a really good idea just what his game is all about. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, that's the thing that makes it interesting is that he just kind of ran out of time, Jeff. And, you know, like we've been talking about Mike or Adolfo, like Future Sox was talking about him long before me or Mike like ever came aboard. I mean, this dude signed in the same international classes as uh, Aloy Jimenez and Gliber Torres, who's with the Yankees now. And he just took so long to get healthy and so long to finally play. And, you know, one of the things he does, I mean, it's just like prodigious raw power that he's actually gotten to in games. And, you know, one of the things I've said on this podcast and other podcasts, like if Mike Rodolfo two years from now in the big leagues is doing like kind of what Adolis Garcia did this year, you know, where he's just like all of a sudden people are like, who's this guy? Like he has 25 homers in the first half. Like I wouldn't be completely shocked by that. I just, I just don't think it's going to be with the White Sox because of the roster gymnastics. And you know, the thing that you mentioned isn't really possible. Like he, so he's out of options. So basically how it goes is if the White Sox keep him through spring training and he doesn't make their club, um, they would have to designate him for assignment then the rest of the league gets a crack at him. Now, you know, let's say a bad team like the Marlins picks him up, right? Like they claim him on waivers. He has to be on their big league team. Um, And if he's not, then they'll have to DFA him again. And, you know, the only way for like, you know, he would have to then essentially clear waivers um, with all the other teams for him to like go back down to the minors. So you know, I, I, he'll either be on the White Sox next year, on another team, or like the White Sox DFAM, nobody claims him. Then he can go back to Charlotte. That would be like the most ideal outcome. I just, I'm not totally sure how realistic it is at this point. Yeah, that probably isn't very realis- realistic. And that's unfortunate because if there was ever a guy who needed one full season at AAA, healthy, you know, working with a hitting coach, trying to close up, narrow some of those holes in his swing. This is the guy. Yeah, I don't I don't disagree and I don't think Mike does either. Um you know, the maybe the saving grace is that he's not really ready to play for anyone's big league team and maybe, you know, the Sox know that and they just feel like they're going to be able to keep control, but you know, we'll see. You would think there's a team that's really bad that could just put him in the outfield and kind of live with the struggles in the big leagues to see if they can get anything out of him. So, you know, Mike Rodolfo will be one of the interesting stories that's like on the periphery of the main story, which is obviously, you know, the big league club and some of the younger prospects that are in the org right now. But he's, uh, I'm glad he got to Charlotte finally, and I'm glad you got a chance to see him. Moving the conversation away from Micah here a little bit. I mean, we talk about the ascension of Gavin Sheets. We saw Jake Berger uh, at the big league level. Romy Gonzalez made his major league debut after 
you know, quite a surprising. I think James and I both agree it was, it was pretty an unexpected uh, call up for Romy Gonzalez this year, but not, not well-deserved. I mean, the guy tore it up all season long and, and capitalized on an opportunity. Uh, and I'd like to get your opinion watching players like Jake Berger and Gavin Sheets every day specifically. And I, I don't know how much you saw Romy Gonzalez uh, because, you know, brief time in Charlotte prior to his promotion, spent most of it in Birmingham this year, but specifically Berger and Sheets, you're seeing Jake Berger a lot. Well, let's start there. What's your opinion on Jake Berger? What has he brought to the table on a day-to-day basis? The defense, the plate approach. I know the power is there. We could see it. Um, is he making consistent contact on the barrel? What are your thoughts? The last time I checked the stats, I think a week or two ago, he had a 40% hard hit rate of all his batted balls, which is an incredibly high stat. And he he hits the ball hard. Even his singles, are, uh, he really barrels up the ball. It's really impressive. I think on the year, I'm looking at his stats, in 68 games, he's got 16 doubles, 16 home runs, and two triples. He is legit. You know, my question for him, and I'm looking forward to when the team comes home this week to catch up with him, I, I'm just curious to see how he is doing physically, how worn down he is. I'm anxious to uh, talk to him about what's going on with him physically. He is an excellent hitter. I, I'm, You know, if I needed one hit, he would be the guy on the team. Can he play third base at a major league caliber? I think so. I'm not quite as sold on his defense as others might be, but he works he works hard. He'll put in the time. He'll make himself better. I mean, just look what he did in this last year when he lost all that weight and got so much lighter on his feet by playing tennis. Yeah. I think I think there's a third baseman there. Yeah, that's exciting. You know, that's the difference maker, really. It just adds so much value to his game. You know, they draft him for the bat. That's translated. And the defense, you know, is a work in progress. I know I mentioned Sheets, and I know I mentioned Romy, but I kind of want to pick your brain about Blake Rutherford. You did write an article about Rutherford following the top 30 prospect lists being introduced for us at Future Sox midseason. As we all know, for us at a website, we agreed not to include Blake Rutherford. But after after we posted that, not, not that this is intertwined <laughs> at all, at all, uh, but he, he totally had a 180 and started putting it together and it sort of showcased what we expected him or what we believed he could be. And he put that together over a couple weeks stretch. What is that player, Jeff? And when things are working for Blake Rutherford, what is he? Wow. You know, what an enigma. What a tough guy to get a read on. Yeah, you're right. Right after we decided that to exclude him from our top 30, he goes out in August and hits 283 for the Knights and slugs 535. Um, and, you know, he's got this beautiful opposite field line drive swing. He can, Blake is the guy who can look so good at times. And in the same game, roll over on some ground balls, weak ground balls to first and second. Unfortunately, though, after August, uh, he's kind of cratered again. The last two weeks have been really rough. I think he had one hit on the entire road trip in Norfolk last week. And so overall, he's hitting 237 with 273 OBP, 388 slugging. I don't know. You know, we've, you know, we've all talked about this privately. You know, I took, Wes Helms said, oh, he's definitely a major leaguer. I see 
20 home runs a year. His power is going to come to him late, but I don't know. He's, he's not finishing well at all this year. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, some of that contributed to, you know, we did the top 30, we took your input. I had, you know, my own from people that I had talked to, and that's why we decided to not rank him. I mean, it like some of the, the statistics in Charlotte, as you've seen, you know, are a bit inflated. I mean, there, there's guys that go there and they turn into world beaters. And, and look, some of the stats aren't totally accurate just because the balls fly out of there. I'm not totally sure what balls they're using. I mean, you got 4A guys pitching. And honestly, like, he's struggled in that environment. And look, Blake struggled in double A. He had some struggles in Winston. I thought that he would go to Charlotte and he would get propped up a little bit. Like, I thought even if there isn't a huge big league future, I thought the numbers at Charlotte would be good because of all those things that I've kind of just said. And for him to like crater as much as he has, it's, you know, it's really disappointing. I don't know how the White Sox are going to continue to carry him on the 40 man all off season. Um, I think it's probably a left field arm, which means he's going to have to hit for power to stick in a corner. Um, and he's another guy. I mean, he'll get another shot somewhere because he was a f- high first round pick, but it was a really, really disappointing season for Blake Rutherford and Charlotte. Yeah, yeah, I don't think there's any way to sugarcoat that. That's true. And and I think you make an excellent point that uh, those 40-man spots are really valuable. You know, like you said, we lost Luis Gonzalez. They lost uh, what, Tyler Johnson. And Zach Birdie. Uh, Zach yeah. Birdie. You know, this, those are valuable spots. And I just don't know if he merits one. Yeah, I think, you know, before you joined us, like for, or, you know, the the team here, for years and years, you know, they would stash guys away on the 40-man, um, and it was an effective use of, like, keeping some prospects around. And Mike Rodolfo was one of those guys who was added to the 40-man when he was still at, like, low A. Um, and when you're bad on the big league level, like, you can do things like that. But when you're trying to win a World Series and you're going to add guys like Billy Hamilton and Jake Lamb and Goodwin and guys like that, you just you, – you can't keep guys like Blake Rutherford around long. And – you know, we're going to, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. There's some spots that open up in the off season, but you know, I'd, I'd be pretty surprised at this point. Um, unfortunately for him, if he factors into the future plans really at all. Yeah. I think we're looking at a totally new outfield uh, next year in Charlotte for sure. With Rutherford leaving, Adolfo leaving, probably my took. Yeah. I think we'll have a complete turnover out there. So how about the pitching staff, Jeff? One guy in particular, uh, you know, we saw Jimmy Lambert get promoted, and you've been on it all season long. You know, the the Knights are very cautious in terms of pitch limit, um, workload management with him specifically. But a guy who's trying to establish himself as a legitimate future major league player and a major league starter is Cade McClure. Have you seen any of Cade McClure's outings? What do you know about him? Well, it's interesting. It really, at one point, recently last week or two it looked like the pitching staff was in big trouble they just shut Jonathan Stever down for the season Lambert was and Mike Wright were both up in Chicago and and it's like how are we going to get through games who's going to start but they had this big surge of players come in from Birmingham you had John Park you had Cade McClure and a handful of relievers who if we have time we can talk about those a couple of them are really interesting but McClure in particular, he first got to Charlotte or got to AAA, and he got beat up pretty good. But then he kind of found his footing. And in his last three outings, including this week, 
Uh, 16 innings, nine hits, one earned run. Uh, he's really starting to come on, and I'm I'm really anxious to to see him these next on the next two weeks of the uh, homestand uh, to see how he finishes the year. But uh, he's really pitching well right now. What are some of the some of those relievers? Any anyone that jumps out to you? I mean, you can list as many as you'd like, but any Charlotte relievers that you think are interesting enough to keep an eye on in terms of future big leaguers? Well, one thing the White Sox have in spades is uh, a lot of big arms in the bullpen. You know, we've had all year long, we've had guys with upper 90s fastballs. and But we now have uh, Anderson Severino up from Birmingham, and he has been hitting 100 on the gun. He, uh, he's got a really lively fastball. But he's also got a breaking pitch, and unlike a lot of relievers we've seen in Charlotte this year, he seems to be able to control it, and it's really effective when he's on both pitches. He's only been up here, he's pitched six innings, so it's really hard to draw any conclusions from that, but he's only given up five hits, nine strikeouts, 217 batting average against, so uh, he's pretty exciting. Yeah, so I mean, it was interesting, last week they, you know, they released, uh, Crick, who they got from the Pirates, like I thought he was maybe going to get added to the 40 man and get a shot in the big leagues, but it seems like he had some sort of out in his contract and he got them to release him. So I guess that that could benefit him. Did you see him last week when he was there? And then I guess the two guys, you know, I was going to ask about Hunter Shriver and Sousa. I didn't know how much you'd seen Bennett Sousa, but his, I mean, his numbers at Birmingham were really, really good. Bennett Salsa and Hunter Shriver, you know, at times they look really good. They don't really have the numbers, though. Uh, they've been very inconsistent this year. One good outing, then one not-so-good outing, uh, unfortunately. And then did you, did you see Kyle Crick when he was, yeah, when he was in the org? Yeah, I, I was really impressed. I, I'm with you. I thought he was for sure a call-up. I thought he really moved to the head of the list. He really looked excellent. And the last time I looked, no one picked him up. I'm a little surprised by that. Yeah, I'm guessing that he had some sort of opt-out where he could go get money somewhere, like maybe in Asia or somewhere pitching. So last, you they haven't been home, right? So you, you haven't seen Evan Marshall on rehab yet, or have you? No, not yet. Okay, so hopefully he'll still... Hopefully he'll still be there Tuesday when you when you join the team in Charlotte because my guess is the White Sox would like to get him back up and get him on the playoff roster and I know I know Evan Marshall's a Mike Rankin favorite so <laughs> love his story he's he's got a great story and uh, he's had a pretty darn good career with the White Sox Jeff great stuff thanks so much for all you do for us at Future Sox uh, and enjoy the the home stretch of the season man only a couple of weeks left right I think is there only one more homestand in Charlotte or is there two. It's uh, one uh, one homestand, eleven games. Then they go on the road for five, and that's it. Yeah, so that's it, Jeff. It's kind of bittersweet, you know. Like we get to this point of the season, and you think, man, at the beginning of the year, it's a grind, one hundred and forty games. That's a lot, and then all of a sudden, it's over, you know. And then we start to relish in the last couple of weeks and say, we're not going to have this again until you know next April, which sucks. Oh, it's awful. <laughs> it's awful. But at least they extended the season to uh, mirror the major leagues, which is nice. Yeah, real quick on that. What, what What's your opinion, just how that correlates a little bit? Well, I think it makes sense from uh, the major league perspective. They, you know, that's it's going to take every arm <laughs> that a team can get a hold of to get 162 games in this year. You know, the White Sox, 
fortunately have not had to rely on their minor league pitching staff as much as most major league teams. But yeah, it, it's been a grind for a lot of teams this year, and they've really gone through um, their AAA squad heavily. Makes sense. That's Jeff Cohen, our guy in Charlotte, covering uh, the Charlotte Knights AAA White Sox for FutureSox.com. My name is Mike Rankin for James Fox and Jeff Cohen. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of the Future Sox podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Future Sox and send us an email if you'd like to get in on the conversation, futuresox at gmail.com. Thanks so much again for listening. We'll talk to you all next time.